In the name of God, who is love, amen. Please be seated. Don't forget you're going to die. Don't forget you're going to die. Don't forget you're going to die. Though this may seem like a bleak and bizarre thought to contemplate, it's actually one that I meditate on five times, at least five times each and every day, thanks to an app on my smartphone. And when I meditate on this thought, don't forget, you're going to die, it's actually a cause of joy and liberation for me. Now, we clergy are a peculiar people. We spend most of our time meditating on ancient texts and immersing ourselves in these ancient liturgies. So you'd probably not be surprised to learn that we're usually not among the early adopters of different technological advances. In fact, we're typically the latest or last adopters of new technological advances. And I have a somewhat complicated and ambivalent relationship with this little supercomputer in my pocket that we call smartphones. I can't tell quite if this device is a net negative or a net positive influence in my life. But I do know that for the last couple years, I've tried to find ways to curb and buffer its influence over me, and in particular, the ways that it can hijack my emotions. I can remember a few years ago sitting with students at the University of Texas campus where I was serving as a priest and often being caught in this dilemma. I'd be sitting there with a student, someone who might be experiencing some degree of crisis in their own life, and I'd be listening intently, and then all of a sudden, I'd feel that little buzz in my pocket. And I'd be left with this inevitable choice. I'd feel that little hit of dopamine, and I'd be left with the question, do I pull out my phone and check the screen? And the question beneath that question is, is whatever's happening in my pocket more important than the needs of this person sitting before me? So I began a practice of silencing all the notifications on my phone, silencing all email notifications, all text notifications, all phone notifications, somewhat to my wife's chagrin for a little while until I figured out a way just to let her bypass that firewall. But there is one app that I let get through to me with pings each and every day. Five times a day, an app called We Croak sends me a little banner notification that says, remember, you are going to die. Open for a quote. I click on the banner, and I'm met with a text from a philosopher or spiritual teacher like Rumi or a poet like Emily Dickinson. And in some way, each of these texts is a reflection on mortality, on the fact that life is fleeting, that it's transient, and that it's precious for the fact that it's always passing away. And when I ardently evangelize about this app and commend it to people in my life I love and care about, I'm often met with a quizzical stare, with a raised eyebrow. Isn't that a bit morbid, pastor? The look seems to say. 
It seems morbid to contemplate one's mortality, but what I've found is that actually spending time each and every day to think about how fleeting life is actually has a liberating effect for me. I see that banner, tap that quote, close my eyes and put my hand on my heart. And I try to pan out and take an, a bird's or God's eyes view of my life in its entirety, of its entire arc. And what I'm, I find myself noticing is that each and every moment, I'm all too often caught up in some little psychodrama of my own creating. And I'm left with the decision. Do I really want to give my happiness over to these tiny, minute, mundane concerns like getting to zero inbox or perfectly polishing a sermon or checking more items off my to-do list? Or do I want to prioritize what really matters? Loving my people well, loving my family well, working on the palms I want to bring into the world. It's like every one of those little contemplations of mortality is sort of like that turbulence moment you get on an airplane where you feel sort of your heart rise into your throat, your blood pressure escalate, and you have a chance to sort of recalibrate and reprioritize the way you live your life. It can seem morbid, but actually this practice of contemplating our mortality is something that's been present in the Christian tradition since its inception and probably a part of Western culture since the time that we began using our minds to think. Even before Aristotle and Plato and Socrates in the Stoic tradition and in ancient Greece, people spent time thinking about these questions of being what we're doing here, and how we make use of this brief time that we've been given. In the Renaissance period, people used to carry around these little skulls in their pocket made of wood or metal that they called death's heads, just to remind them of the fact that they too one day would meet the grave. If you look at Renaissance paintings, often you see a little skull in the corner and maybe even an inscription in Latin, et in Arcadia ego, that sort of is meant to indicate that even in a beautiful scene, like an idyllic pastoral meadow, death is also there. And in a lot of ways, I feel like we as a community are in a unique, uh, in a unique um, context to contemplate our mortality because sometimes living in Jackson in the shadow of the Tetons feels like we're walking through wait, one great big memento mori, a reminder of our mortality. There's so much out there from avalanche danger to megafauna to all the weather that we navigate on a given day that can threaten our very well-being. Just moving through a place where the veil feels so thin can allow us to get present to how fleeting and how precious life is. And this invitation to consider the fact that we don't have this life forever is at the heart of Ash Wednesday as well. I love this teaching that Jesus gives his disciples. He's trying to give them a lesson on how to pray, on how to engage in spiritual practice. But actually, my very favorite part is a little moment that comes right after the text that we're given. Right after this teaching on washing our faces and not sort of like disfiguring ourselves in these acts of penance and being so severe, kind of worm I am but no man, Jesus says, do not store up for yourself treasure on earth, where moth and rust corrupts and thieves can break in and steal. 
but rather store up for yourself treasure in heaven. And then he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I don't think that Jesus is actually talking about the afterlife when he says to store up treasure in heaven. Of course, there is this good news that's an element of the Christian story and of our sort of collective theology that when we shake off this mortal coil, we'll be united back to this communion of saints that includes our our loved ones, those we love and see no more, and we'll we'll be united with God in some ultimate state of bliss and peace and joy. But Jesus hardly ever talks about salvation as a post-mortem condition. Whenever Jesus talks about the kingdom or the kingdom of heaven, of this reign or reality of God, he's always talking about creating a new reality of love and beauty and liberation for all people in this world here and now. And that's the invitation of Ash Wednesday. When we have these ashes imposed upon our foreheads and we contemplate these words, remember that we are dust and to dust we shall return, The invitation embedded in that language is to remember that this life is something we only have to enjoy for so long, something that we only have so many days to live into and give ourselves to. And so perhaps in the next 40 days, we live into this invitation to find different ways to draw on our specific gifts and joys and passions to put them in service of a greater good to align our efforts with those of Jesus, those efforts Jesus commends in building this new reality of love and liberation for someone else. And if you're thinking about taking on some sort of practice over the next 40 plus days, if you want to give something up or take something on, I invite you to do it not just as another sort of proof of your piety or a demonstration of your ability to sort of Um, summon up some grit and bear a practice with discipline. But think about whether or not there's anything in your life that you're currently doing or holding on to that's separating you from this reality of love that is God. Or is there something that you can take on that brings you a little bit closer to God, the ground of all our being? And if you need something really practical to help with this, on the back of your program, or actually on the inside cover, there's a little QR code that will link you to a web page where you can download the We Croak app. So if you want to give it a go, this is your opportunity to take five pauses a day to contemplate the mortality that we experience and the invitation to live more fully into our one wild and precious life, in the words of poet Mary Oliver. And just so you know that I'm not joking, when I mention and cite my technological ineptness, you'll see that there's a sticker over an original barcode, which I created as a mistake. It actually just took you to the website where you create QR codes. So that's the correct one. And if you need any help, you can come up to me or maybe someone who's even more technologically savvy and we'll get you hooked up with We Croak. But over the next 40 days, may you live into this beautiful reality that you are beloved children of God, that there's nothing you can do or not do that separates you from God's love. And remember that you are going to die. But before we do, let's not forget to fully live. Amen.